0: This week's Adam Schefter podcast. It's a special edition of the Adam Schefter podcast to go along with the one that we taped earlier this week with the new Cowboys quarterback, Andy Dalton, and the retired 49ers offensive lineman, Joe Staley, and the medical director of the NFLPA, Dr. Tom Mayer. But this week, we are bringing together a special edition of the podcast because Todd McShea, the great ESPN draft analyst, is finally feeling well enough from his battle with COVID-19 to come on and publicly speak about it the very first time. We had spoken to Todd the week of the draft, but now he has agreed to come on and share his thoughts about what it was like to battle COVID-19 and where he's at today. And without further ado, the great Todd McShay. My friend, my colleague, Todd McShay, who we've been waiting to hear from for quite some time. The last time we spoke, Todd, was the Monday before the NFL draft, we thought the draft would go on without a hitch, that was your plan, and then it didn't. So why don't we start there and say what happened that week that derailed your hopes and thoughts that you would be
1: working the NFL draft that week? Yeah, I was diagnosed with with COVID and, and I had the coronavirus and and you know, the scary part is, Shefty, that I had a mild case of it and it, it just lingered because I wasn't taking care of myself. I was, you know, preparing for the draft. I have a 400 page book that I distribute internally and that we use to, you know, for the, for draft weekend and, and just the stress of getting ready for the draft and then knowing potentially that I might miss the draft. I think, you know, my doctors, said that that it kind of all added up and I think the most important thing I can say and it sounds like a canned line but my heart goes out to everyone that had it as as much as I did but certainly worse than I did I mean there are so many deaths thousands of people on ventilators just fighting for their life and and I know the level like the coughing was hard there were, you know, the fever would spike a little bit here and there, but the level of exhaustion, I can't even explain to you, man. I mean, I, I was a Massachusetts kid who went down to Virginia to play football and, and had two a days in August in a hundred degree temperatures with, you know, 97% humidity. And there were days I, I didn't think I was going to make it. And I'm telling you, this was more exhausting. I would, I would send a text to, Mike Cambray, are our, um, our, the guy is an executive who kind of runs the schedule. Just trying to check in with him, and he would text me right back, and I would wake up three hours later. That's how bad it is. So I, I think the most important thing that I can say is I, I just, I, I just feel so terribly for everyone that's going through this, and I'm so grateful for all of the people that. That are there in these hospitals working, I mean even my my primary care physician spent ten days just dealing with this in hospitals like it's all hands on deck and it, it's um it's remarkable to see and it, it's it's tough to to go through and Todd, you said you had
0: a mild case of it mild yes so I Can did. you imagine what it would be if it was worse than that where you're knocked out for hours at a time the way
1: you're describing right now? No, I can't. And that's, that's why I wanted to, you know, I'm uncomfortable making this about me. You know, obviously I I missed the draft and we can get into, you know, how hard that was, but this isn't really about me. It's just, it's just. This is about you, but no, but this is about you in the, just in the sense, like
0: you are one person that was diagnosed with this virus. You had it. So people know who you are. From the great work you've done, they've seen you on the draft, which you weren't on this year. They want to know what happened and what it was like. And so for a little bit of time here on this particular podcast, with all due respect and all apologies, it is about you. And I understand your thoughts are with other people, but I want to hear about you. And I want to hear how dark it was. And I want to hear how low you got, because I'll bet you there were some low moments that you had during the course of fighting this disease, which went on, I might add,
1: for weeks. It did. You know, so it, I don't know exactly when when I got it. I know I was diagnosed earlier in the month of April. Um, and I thought, because, you know, I'm young enough and in relatively decent shape been in better shape, but um, that I thought I could fight through it. But anyway, so... Uh, you know, we, we moved, with everything going on, we moved a, a TV studio into my office in the Prudential Center in Boston. And then two days later, the Prudential Center offices got shut down. So then we moved a, a studio into my apartment. We live in Boston. I've got two children who are um, four and five and a half years old, a wife and a, a dog. And we're in 1,700 square feet, and they moved the studio into my, my kid's playroom. So so my wife was like, all right, you're not feeling well. We're just we're going to go down to the beach and get away on April 1st. And they left. So on April 1st, I'm here and I'm trying I'm trying to do hits. You know, I I'd get up in the morning and do a, a sports center hit. And I would go literally, Adam, go lay down in bed like face first in into my pillow and then set a timer to wake me up to go back to go do get up or whatever the next show was. And I was just trying to fight through it. And there were a couple days where I felt like I was getting better. And then I just, I bottomed out because I, I just, I didn't take care of myself and I didn't rest. And, you know, the dark places, I can remember just wrapping myself in a, in a blanket on the couch. And, you know, like when you have the flu, just kind of shivering and ca- I was coughing and I, I would just nod off for hours at a time. And I tried, you know, I was trying to get back to producers. I, <laughs> I spent 15 years at ESPN trying to get on the first the first night of the draft on, you know, on the set. Yeah. And this was like this was the year. I finally was going to be on the set with Herbie and and um, and Reese Davis and Pollock and Jesse Palmer. Like we, I was going to be part of that ABC set first time in 15 years. And I'm sitting there fighting, like doing everything I can to try to get there. But I, I just couldn't do it. And, you, you know, you and I talked. and I, I just wasn't lucid, and I thought I was, but I wasn't. And then I would send a text to Canby, and, and then I, he would text me back, as I said before. And then I, like, I would get back to him four or five hours later, and he's like, Bud, you know, you missed three shows. So it just yeah. – I, I was just gone. And it, it got really dark in the hospital when I was just, it was just by myself. And I knew the draft was going on and I couldn't watch it. I didn't watch the draft until Saturday night. I woke up late that night and there was a re-air and I started watching it then because I knew it was over. And I, I, for whatever reason, I just, I couldn't watch the draft knowing that I wasn't being a part of it and wasn't on it. And I felt like I was letting everyone down.
0: So you didn't watch the draft until after it was over on replay the yep. Saturday night. After I think it was that.
1: like 2 or 3 a.m. I woke up and, and turned on ESPN and they were running a, re, a replay of it. And what was that like for you to watch it at that time? Uh, I picked up at like pick seven. And it, I, I, at that point, I had let go. To be honest, and I had gained perspective because I was so sick, and I was starting to feel better, and and so I, I I had let go, and I could finally watch it. I wasn't watching it like I would, you know, if I was sitting on the set or or a part of it. I was just interested in who the first six or seven picks were. Right. Um, and it, you know, I it was a very different viewing viewing experience. I, I just was starting to get a little energy back and I was finally interested in it and not, and had let go of like being a part of it. You know, it just, I spent 11 months of the year gearing up and working towards that draft weekend. And it, it was, I don't know why I just, I could not watch it when it was live for some reason. So what did you do
0: while the draft was unfolding Thursday night,
1: Friday night into Saturday night? I rested, I slept, and I watched some terrible shows. Whatever I, (laughs) whatever I could find on the limited, the limited cable that I had, um, you know, at at, at the hospital. So it, and I, I just, I kept, I would scroll past ESPN and ABC just to find something else. Like I watched Magnum PI at one point, (laughs) but that's how bad things were. Uh, just just to avoid watching it. I, I don't I can't explain it. I just I just couldn't bring myself to watch it live knowing that I wasn't there and a part of it. It would hurt that much to watch it? Yeah. That was that was exactly it. That yeah. was exactly it. I, I just yeah. It was you know it it's it's my thing. It's what I do. It you right. know, it it would be like I don't know, maybe free agency for you if all of a yeah, sudden but you but couldn't be a part thing. of it. Yeah, I think what it would be like is someone spending a year
0: putting together a book or a movie and getting ready to have it published. And then when it's coming out, ready, all there at the end, they can't be a part of it. Right. That, right. That, I mean, and I'm that, sitting- that would be the only way I, I could equate it, I guess. Because free agency, there's other things that happen. So that, that's not really apropos. But in your particular case, you build up to this, build up to this, build up to this, work on this prospect, that prospect. It's, it goes on all year long, all leading up. To this three-day period in April, and really the entire month of April. Let's be honest, right? Because yeah. there's enough yeah. other programming that goes on, but the, the
1: culmination of it all is those three days. And on those three yeah, days, I mean, I, you can't do it, right? And and I'm sitting here, you know, I'm sitting there staring at because I pulled out my my draft books. And was, getting, you know, one, one of them's team based and what the team needs are and, and all those things. And the other one is, is my, it's like 410 or 415 pages of just every page is a, is a breakdown on, on each player. And I'm staring at the books and I, again, I, I, I just couldn't open them up and I couldn't watch the shows because I, I, um, it just it, it hurt, man. It it's the best way I can describe yeah. it. It just it sucked. It like it was so hard knowing that you guys were all there. Um, the support I got was amazing, but just knowing that you guys were all there doing it and a part of it and then I I just couldn't pull through.
0: Now there are a few things you touched on that I want to get to. You mentioned that your wife and two children and dog left on April first. Yep.
1: How long were you all apart, and are you back together now you know i'm I'm heading down there to see them today for the first time since April first and i mean i I can't even imagine the hugs you know there's probably going to be some tears and like it's been so long man it's been so long just being alone by my sle- Low lowe flew home to make sure that i I got you know t- to treatment and got and got taken care of and then flew back down to, to, to be with the kids. But, um, it's been, I don't know what, what's today. We're in May. So May May 6th, May 6th. Yeah. So we're we're talking, we're talking, you know, almost 40 days, close to 40 days without them. And, uh, it's, it's been tough on them and and they've been great, but, uh, but I am going to, I'm going to squeeze those kids so hard when I see them. (laughs) So you have not seen your kids.
0: Since, Since April first, yep. But but you but you saw your wife low at one point. She helped with the treatment. Is
1: that correct? Right. She flew home to, to get me some treatment, and then um, and then flew back down. You know, because I, I I you know I'm stubborn. I'm an idiot. I would have laid on the couch and tried to fight through it, but I, I need I needed some help.
0: Now you mentioned being in a dark spot, and the last time we spoke, I could hear it in your voice how dark and lonely you got at certain points. Yeah. When you look back on this period now, now that you seem to have come out of it, and now that we're in a much better place than we were the last time we spoke. I hope I sound better. (laughs) Honestly, you do. You do. Um, What would you
1: pinpoint as a moment that you couldn't believe how dark and lonely it got? Um, Probably the day of the draft. And that's when Lowe flew back, you know, that, that Thursday, I think the 23rd of April. When I just I knew when I knew it was over. Um, it was Wednesday when I talked to Seth Markman, who you know is, is one of our executives and a, a really good friend and a great person. Um, we kind of made the decision together that I, I just I needed to focus on getting better and and I wasn't ready mentally or physically to to do it. And so it, it was probably then, but then. You know, waking up the morning of the draft knowing that day one was coming and, and I, I couldn't do it. And, and then Lowe flew home and I, you know, I actually, I begged her. I was like, just give me till 9 a.m. tomorrow. I want till 9 a.m. tomorrow and then bring me in. And so she waited and at 9 a.m., she scooped me up and got me in the car and, and, and took me away. So it w- it was probably that, that morning or the night before, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. Leading up to the draft, where it was just because I I had to give up, I had to I had to let it go, and that was really difficult for me to do. Yeah. Well, you know what's amazing about that is that we spoke that Monday
0: yep. draft week, yep. and the one thing that I took away from the, our call was how low you were then, how dark and lonely it had been for yeah. you. Yeah,
1: I know, and I. I I don't want to say I don't remember it. It's just kind of all of the, all a blur looking back on it, you know. It, it, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it, it was all just kind of a blur, just falling asleep and waking up and trying to get – I remember I was eating peanut butter, just going and scooping peanut butter out of a jar to get something in my body um, and then going back and laying down and falling asleep for hours. So it, it's really it, – It's hard to explain the exhaustion level. That would be the, you know, the the biggest takeaway in terms of just what it did to me physically. What was the longest amount you slept at one
0: particular period? Do you remember that at all? Because I remember when we last spoke, I remember you describing like sleeping
1: almost around the clock. Yeah, there were, I I, want to say, I mean, I I honestly can't remember exactly, but I want to say there was one point where I slept like 15 hours or something and then woke up and didn't know whether it was day or night and had to like, because you know, I had shades in the bedroom and I had to go and walk out and look. And it was like early morning. I don't know. I just, There were a lot of, like I said, just blurry memories of it. But I, I do remember one point, I think it was like 15 hours, some, something like that, somewhere in that range. And I could not believe it. I was like, whoa, you know, and then trying to get back, you know, have conversations with, with Camby and, and Allie Stoneberg, who's been an absolute, I mean, she's the one of the nicest, best human beings I know in the entire world. And the way she handled this with, with Camby and the way that they deflected everything and let me get rest and let me get healthy. I'll never forget for the rest of my life. I mean, I I have so many people to thank.
0: Allie became your conduit. Like we spoke that Monday. And then I texted you once or twice, and I said, "Okay." When I didn't get response, I'm going to leave him alone because I remember you saying that it was draining to have to answer some of the texts. So we would text our queries to Allie. But I will say this also, Todd. When we spoke the last time, that Monday before the draft, you talked about how emotional it was to tell your
1: mom on the phone. Do you remember that? I do. (laughs) I do. I can't believe I told you that. I do. Yeah, (laughs) I've. you don't even remember telling me about it do you no I, I i remember telling you it's you know it's embarrassing but i i just i broke down you know i called her because i i i don't I, I just i was so i was broken i was exhausted i it just it took everything out of me and i didn't you know i didn't i for some reason i just didn't want to tell her but i had to tell her um and you know she's she was worried and concerned and that set off all sorts of alarms, but that, that was, that was the hardest call that I made for some reason. Just having to tell my mom that, you know, I I was really sick. Is that why it was so hard? Because it's your mom and you are that sick and you have to tell her she's going to worry. Or is there another reason that? that No, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's mom, you know, like that. Anytime you're sick, most, most people like you, you know, (laughs) you want to, you want to go to mom, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but secondly, you know, I knew how excited and proud she was of me finally like getting on the draft and the set for the first night. And was, you know, it was a big deal and, and having to tell her that that wasn't happening. And, and then mostly just, just telling her and, and knowing that she was going to be upset and, and worried for me and all those things. So it was a mix of emotions, but it was, uh, it was def- for some reason you would think that would be the easiest call, right? Calling mom, but it oh, was, yeah. um, it was, yeah, it, it just. For some reason, it just, it got me. Wow. And what do you remember about the conversation when you told her? Um, I remember that I, I actually started breaking down and she was crying and, and then she, you know, immediately called, called my wife and called the rest of my family and, you know, everyone was trying to, that's when it kind of, I don't want to say that's when it became real, but that's when I knew that I, I wasn't right. And I, I had to tell her. Do you have any idea how you got the virus, Todd? No, I don't. I, I You know, I live in the city. I live in Boston. Um, I think like a, a lot of people early on, I, we just we didn't realize how serious it was. You know, it could it could have been anywhere. So it, I, I really don't know exactly. See, what was what's interesting about that to me is that I actually got calls from people after you came out, and they're
0: like, it, it freaked them out that you are a model of health. You are somebody who stays in shape, young, yep. active, and here you are, sick enough that you're missing your biggest work event of the year. And so that, I think, really struck a chord with some people in our industry, in the football world, that I heard from. Like, Wow. If Todd got it and he's laid out like this, that really resonated with them. If that makes any sense,
1: And yeah, so no, I, I, I get that. I, I think I think part of it is I think I was I made myself vulnerable because if there's any point in time during a year that I'm at my weakest and least healthy, it's it's like that March, early April. It's not even during the draft. It's it's getting ready for close to April first. Getting that book done, getting everything done, being prepared, and then knowing that I basically April becomes all right. My my work is mostly done. Now it's going on TV and and talking and going back and forth and the Kuiper debates and all the the fun stuff that we do. Um, I, I just I think I got because I was like I do every single year. It, like that three week span. Anyone who sees me in late March. Mm-hmm knows like how exhausted I am because I'm just trying to finish it all up and get it all done and make sure it's done right. And then I kind of regroup during the first couple of weeks of April and then I'm ready to go for, for the, uh, the final stretch. And so I, I think I just, I think I got into a position where I I, I wasn't taking care of myself enough and, and my body just couldn't handle it. I mean, I think Tony Baselli got it. There I mean, there are a lot of healthy people who, who have gotten it, but I, I definitely, I, I def, you know, looking back on it, had had I known, I would have taken much better care of myself. I would have cooled down a little bit, and I would have put a mask on and gloves on and and, and done all the things that you know that we're doing now. You mentioned Mel Kuyper.
0: Uh, you also yes. mentioned when we spoke last time some texts that you got from maybe him, maybe his wife Kim. We don't know, but it was from <laughs> one of the Kuypers. How much communication and encouragement do you get from? Your work partner Mel Kuyper there in the days leading up to
1: and during the draft. That that was one of the the, the funny parts, if you will. <laughs> you know, if I, one of the chuckles that I got during during that dark period was, was texting back and forth with Mel. Or no, sorry, with Kim. <laughs> and send you know sending really nice texts, and I would text back, and then I got a text back, and then I it was like Kim, thank you so much, and Kim was like. Uh, Actually, that was that was Mel. He texts from my cell phone. Of course, he does. You know, I mean, we all we all love Mel, and he's the quirkiest guy I know. But he's um, but that's you know, he he was amazing. He he called me multiple times, texted yeah. me multiple times. Kim was texting me, and you know, and and identifying herself multiple times. I mean, I, the support I got, Chefty, is yeah. is probably. The the biggest thing that stands out. I mean, the doctors took my phone away, thank goodness, when I first came in, and I didn't have it for five days, and I, and I, I needed that. When I got my phone back on, I had 437 text messages from, you know, the Kuipers, Jimmy Pataro, the president of, of ESPN, actually called my wife on her cell phone to just give encouragement and say that I, I would be missed. Like how cool is that? You know, Steph truly Lee fitting Seth Markman Canby. Um, for I mean, you sent me multiple texts and, and meaningful texts, like really truly checking in. And I appreciate that. That friend Herb street, uh, Pollock sending me prayers and, and telling me to get off the mat uh, van Pelt. Opening, you know, texting me multiple times. Opening his show, talking about me, and and giving good, you know, good wishes. Wingo opening the entire draft on ESPN, saying that I'm, I'm missed, and closing it when he uh, um, when he thanked all the the people that help on the set that I usually do. Uh, Brewski, Jesse Palmer, Booger. I mean, the list goes on and on. My my college football crew: Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, Molly, Molly McGrath. They. I, they, you know, sending loving texts, but also keeping me honest and 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 spicing it up and making it funny. I, even like Charles Barkley, Mike Tirico, Rich Eisen. I had, wow. the other thing is, Shefty, ten GMS. I think it was ten. Ten GMS reached out during the actual draft. Like during the picks were going on, and they. I looked at the time and I was like, Wow, you know that. The fact that they would stop what they were doing and send a text, making sure that I was OK, um, you know, it was really cool. But but the bottom line is I've never felt more support in my life. And ESPN, I, you know, we all love each other and we get along and we have fun when we're together. But I've never felt like it's more of a second family than I do now.
0: And that was just was an you what that support meant to you, how much it meant to you.
1: I I had a lot of support leading up and then they, which was helpful, but I was so tired and so exhausted. Like I was just trying to scroll through and make sure I got back to the people that I really needed to. Uh, But when I, when I started to come to and left the hospital and and got a 437 texts, it was like, it was a feeling that I've never felt before. You know, I, you know i know i have good friends and i know we're all friends and like work friends but to see how many people reached out and and how many times and how, like the the well wishes that they sent not just hey i hope you're good but like sending real legitimate notes that they had to sit down and and think about it it just it meant a lot to me it really will I'll, i will never in my life forget it you bring up
0: the gms on the clock and some of those others the multitude of texts that you got was there one that really stayed with you that really touched you in a way that you wouldn't have thought or you will
1: always remember um well rick spielman is a good friend you know i I worked with his brother chris for many years and and he sent some really nice texts Uh, chris ballard you know he chris ballard i didn't have his cell phone he didn't have my cell phone number um you know we talk when we're at you know the combine and different things, but we have never exchanged phone numbers. Uh, the Colts GM Chris Ballard sent a really heartfelt note during the draft, and it, it opened with, "Hey, Herbie gave me your number. I hope that's okay." <laughs> I'm Thinking to myself, like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, of course it's okay, but No, it, so I mean that that was one example of of a of a note that really stood out. So how does all this change your perspective on the world, this sickness,
0: this virus? Ugh.
1: I realize that this, it, you know, it's it's not life and death. I, just look at the numbers. I mean, clearly you guys you guys do better without me in terms of the broadcast. <laughs>
0: Highest numbers. rated draft
1: ever, Todd. <laughs> I, I know. Understand. I know. <laughs> I do the math on it. I'm a trend guy. Yep. <laughs> so, no, but I, I, I really... I realize that it's one. Of, you know, you can say what you what you want, and it's all corny. But I, I realize that it's it's okay. You know, it's okay. And I I think a lot of GMs, and I've talked to some some GMs after, are realizing like, all right, maybe we don't need to do some of this stuff. And I'm sure we're in, in six months everyone will go back to that same crazy bubble that we all live in. But do you really need a million pro days? Do you really need some of these things that we do? Um, can we spend a little bit more time with our family and and uh, and and less time worrying about some of the little things that really don't matter? You know, and it was it was cool when I when I actually did start walk, watching the draft, looking at, at some of the you know the decision makers. It's like you know they're stuck. They're in their home, I and mean, like Belichick would make a pick and then stand up, walk away, and his dog's there you know I watched uh, Joe Douglas and his kids that I know and hugging him after a pick and that's okay it's okay you know to to be a little bit more family oriented and and not to wor- there's some there's a lot of little stuff that we worry about Shefty that huh. I've always thought like it's not it's not worth it we're not gaining anything from it really but we do it because it's that's how it's always been done and I'm hoping that maybe we rein it back in a little bit, but we'll see what happens and that's how we're wired right and so something like this that
0: recalibrates our country that recalibrates our lives, that recalibrates right. everything just makes you think differently about everything going on in life right at this point.
1: how has it changed you have you Do you have any different perspective, just like you know being involved with the draft being different and everything going on around you It's a great question um
0: you know, I I haven't, you know, I, I, you've had it. My parents lost one of their good friends. My college roommate lost his mom. Three cousins had it. My niece had it. Um, and I I, I think I'm just amazed at how vulnerable we are as a society to something mm-hmm. like this. That it could just take us all down and turn our lives upside down. And I think it's good in the sense that. Again, it's forced us to spend more time with our families. There would have been a lot of days that I would have been in Bristol or mm-hmm. going to Las Vegas that I was right here. And so that's also good. Um, but I'll be honest, what concerns me about it is that this may be like this for a long time, a long yep. time. And, and I don't know when this changes. And so. Um, You know, the obvious change is how it's changed me. I'm very hairy right now, Todd. I, I, I have <laughs> hairs coming out of my ears, my nose, my eyebrows. I've got more hair. I've walking out of the street with my dogs yesterday. And I, and I saw one of my neighbors, and he goes, holy hair. And I said, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, they'll call me Teen wool for nothing, you know. And so um, oh, the, the, just the li- the little simple things in life that I thought were simple, like I said, like getting a massage every – four, five, six, I told you about that masseuse in Bristol. I'm like, you got to try yeah. this. She's great. She's unbelievable. Even, yeah, and I don't even know the next time I'll get a massage. I have no idea. And I'm like, man, I love that. I love that. And just, you know, I, I live a very simple life, right? I work, work out, spend time with my family. I don't need much more than that. But even the little things, like my sister said to me this morning, she goes, I miss going out to dinner just once. Just yep. Once rather than every single night. And it's been so long since something like that has happened. And I miss driving through to Starbucks, which I haven't done in six, seven weeks now, and just getting you know, a little afternoon pick-me-up, whatever it is, just little things. There were a woman that would make my smoothies in the morning, haven't been into her shop in <laughs> two months. you know. So it, 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 it's just the little things like that that I think have changed my perspective a little bit uh, from a smaller sense, in addition to the obvious ones. Let me ask you this, Todd. We now, in our country, have over 1.2 million cases of the coronavirus. We have, at the time that we're recording this, basically 72,000 deaths, which is more people than died in the Vietnam War. Hmm. There are going to be a lot more people that can track this virus. There are going to be a lot more hard days ahead. What would you say to them as somebody who has battled this, somebody who gets this, about what they're about to get themselves into.
1: Well, again, I, I feel, I feel badly giving an opinion on it or, or talking about it because I, I had a mild case and I know there are thousands upon thousands of people who have had it worse. But the only thing I can say is no matter what you're doing and what you're trying to do, let go. Let go. Take care of yourself. Get to the hospital, get tested. Um, you know, get your rest. Get rid of your phone. That, like that, to me. And it, I was in a unique period, obviously, because that's when I'm getting flooded with texts and, and emails and calls and all that for for shows and getting ready for the draft. But outside of the like, focus on your core people. You know, if it's your your wife, your husband. Your children, focus on them. I had pictured two pictures of my, of my children, you know, not because I didn't have a phone. I had two physical pictures, one of my daughter and one of my son that, you know, when I, I would wake up and, and kind of in a dark place, just, just look at them and, and that would, that would kind of inspire me to just keep, keep going and keep fighting and, and all that. But I, I think, I think you gotta, I started to get better when I let go. And I just let go and and rested and and took care of myself. And the last thing I'll ask you is later today, which is amazing, you're going to get the chance
0: to see your son and daughter for the first time since April 1st. I know you talked about how emotional that will be. When you think ahead to that moment, which by the time some people listen to this, it will have already happened. But what is that going to be like
1: for you? I'm going to get off a boat. And they're going to be standing there and I'm going to run down and probably plow over people in front of me and go pick both of them up at the same time, if I still can do it and just squeeze them and kiss them and, and get in the car, go back to the house and, and, um, and do whatever they want, ride bikes, (laughs) get on scooters, you know, run around anything we can do. Just, I I just can't wait to spend those moments with them And, and obviously you know, hug my wife and, and hold on tight. And just it's gonna be it's been a long time, man. It's been a long we said, it's almost forty days. And um just a lot has gone on. And I'm I've stayed in Boston to to um just being safe, just trying to make sure that I don't go down there and and, and bring anything. So we're we're in a safe spot now. So it's uh it's time to go and it's time to see them and and it's going to be it's going to be amazing. I can't wait.
0: Glorious, yeah, glorious. And you mentioned
1: safe spot. So
0: are you now fully healthy? Like, will we see you on ESPN soon? Where are you at? How would you describe where you're at right I'm now? I'm fully being healthy.
1: I'm fully healthy. I've done some stuff with .com. You know, you know, five teams that upgraded their roster. Ten players that I think are going to be great. Uh, that are going to be you know impact players this year uh, as rookies and, and some other stuff. I, I've talked to to the executives. I'm going to go down and be with my family for a little bit. There's no rush. The the way too early mock draft can wait a a little bit. (laughs) It can. (laughs) It it always can. Um, You know, in my mind, it should be December, but it'll probably be somewhere in in early June when I I come back and and do some You know, get back on TV and and get ready to go. Give your kids a hug from me. Give your wife a hug from me. I'd like to give you a hug myself.
0: I appreciate your time today. I appreciate your time the Monday before the draft. I'm glad to hear you sounding more like Todd than you did at that particular time. And the only thing I'd say is welcome back. We love you. We're very happy that you are in the safe place that you now are.
1: Thanks, man. And I I, I thank you and I thank everyone that, that sent out the support. I I can't tell you how much it meant to me. And and you were you know, you were leading the charge. You you sent yeah. me so many text messages just checking in making sure I'm, I'm good, and I really appreciate it, and I'll, I'll never forget it. You were on our minds. You were
0: missed, and uh, we are awfully happy to hear that you are doing the way you are right now, Todd. Be well and enjoy your family later today.
1: Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you. And so there he is, the ESPN draft analyst, Todd McShay, and I will say it is hard not to get emotional listening to him talk about Being reunited with his two children, ages four and five and a half, and getting to see them for the first time since April 1st. I cannot even imagine being in that situation where you go 40 days without seeing your children the way that he did. And you could hear how much it would mean to him. It would mean that much to anybody. But I'll also say that he sounded so much better today than he did the last day that I spoke with him, which was back in April. The exact date would have been Monday, April 20th. And he wasn't completely lucid in that conversation, though the conversation went on for a very long time. And what I remember about that is on that day, he talked about what a dark and lonely place he was in. And he sounded so lonely and so depressed and so miserable from fighting this virus. And honestly, He sounded as if he didn't want to fight it much longer, like he couldn't take it. And for him to talk about that it was harder to miss the NFL draft this year tells you a couple of things. It tells you how important his work is to him, and there's no way that you could do what he does and rise to his level without caring about your work that much the way that he does. And he spends all the years, we talked about earlier on the podcast, getting ready for this and to have it basically vanish, mean nothing, taken away from him while he battles through the virus, clearly it it broke his heart. And the fact that that was the low point to him stood out to me because you cannot imagine how low he sounded that week, earlier on, on Monday the 20th, when he thought that he would be doing the draft. But clearly, common sense prevailed, reason prevailed. And thankfully he got the rest that he needed and learned an awful lot about himself, the virus and what it takes to battle it. And hopefully there'll be people that listen to his words and his messages that benefit from that. But Todd was tremendous. I think it opens a lot of people's eyes to everything that he went through. I want to thank you all for listening today to a special edition of the Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back with another episode. And until then, be well. And stay safe.